0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to
1: go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the verse of Scripture that uh, we've been using as a text for the last several weeks in talking about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and He said, In verse 16, and I will pray the Father and He will give you another comforter that He may abide with you for a few weeks. That He may get you over the hard places until you realize that I'm really gone. Know that He may abide with you forever. Jesus is not just talking to the eleven, He's talking to you. The Holy Spirit is to abide with you forever. He goes further in the next verse. Verse 17 he says even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. It was a couple of years ago I was reading this verse of scripture and the Lord drew to my attention that he's talking about the Holy Ghost that the world can't receive. Well salvation is for the world isn't it? So he's got to be talking about a work of the Holy Spirit that goes beyond salvation. Because when you're born again, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, aren't you recreated? Isn't your spirit recreated or made new by the Holy Spirit? That's the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy. I'll take, out of the, I'll take the stony heart out of you and put a new heart, a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. That's the Holy Spirit. So when he talks about even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, he's not just talking about getting saved. He can't be Now, these are people that already believe on him, even though they couldn't yet be saved because he had not yet gone to the cross and paid the price. But he knows full well that these people are in line for salvation because they are followers or disciples of his, right? So when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he's not just talking about something that will recreate them, he's talking about something that will empower them, really someone that will empower them, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive i'll pray the father and he'll give you another comforter even that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither know him for you know him how we're we going to know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you he dwelleth with you and shall be in you folks those are not the same thing i can go with you to the store but i can't get in you to go to the store holy spirit the work of the holy spirit is to be in us we know that has to be the new birth and with us. Now, these things are fulfilled in the Scripture. In the uh, the next, well, few days for salvation, John chapter twenty tells us Jesus, after he's raised from the dead, appears to the disciples, where they're behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. And he breathes on them and says, "Receive the Holy Ghost." Well, something happened. Something changed on the inside of them. Now instead of being behind closed doors, they're openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. They're not afraid of being taken captive anymore. They return to Jerusalem with great joy, Luke 24, 52 says. Something changed. Something happened in in them. Well, that's what the Bible says does take place when we meet Jesus. But to that same group of people, after they've been changed, after they've been saved, after they've received the Holy Ghost in salvation, been born again, He tells the same group of people, don't leave Jerusalem without the Holy Ghost. He's already commissioned them. He's already told them, go into all the world. But then he says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Spirit from on high. I like the way John Osteen used to say this. Jesus told them, even though you have your commission, even though you have your direction, and what you're supposed to do for me, don't even think about having church without the Holy Ghost. Now, we've been talking about the the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 8. I want you to see this. We talked about this a little bit, but I think it would bear repetition. And and, uh, there's so much misunderstanding, so much wrong teaching about this that I think we need to see it as we make our comments. Notice in verse 26, Romans chapter 8, it says, Likewise, the Spirit, that must be the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmities means weakness. It means weakness. We know that Paul's told us, and and not that he would have to tell us, we know this already. Paul said, we know in part, and we understand in part. Well, that's clear. We don't understand everything the way that we should, do we? You don't have everything about the things of God figured out, neither do I, and neither does anybody else, no matter how they act. So he says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses. Well, what weakness is he talking about? There's all kinds of weaknesses in this life. What kind of weakness is he talking about? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, the weakness he's talking about is a lack of understanding as we could or should have. He doesn't say we don't know how to pray. He says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. He doesn't even say we don't know what to pray for. He just says we don't know what to pray for as we ought to know. So the Holy Spirit, therefore, goes beyond our understanding, the limits of our understanding in our prayer life. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, he's not an it. The Spirit himself maketh groanings which cannot be uttered. Another translation says, which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. P.C. Nelson, who is the foremost Greek scholar of his day, said of this phrase that it would be most specifically and literally translated with the groanings which cannot be uttered that should literally be translated God talk. Well, what is God talk? Well, Paul just told us that when we speak in unknown tongues, we're speaking not unto men but unto God. That would make it God talk, wouldn't it? It says in the Spirit we speak mysteries or divine secrets. Speaking with tongues is speaking divine secrets with God. How could anybody think that that's not important? So he says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he's not saying that the speaking in tongues is the intercession. He's saying the intercession is the Holy Ghost making up for our infirmities or our weakness or our lack of knowledge in this case. In other words, the Holy Ghost fills the gap. To intercede means to fill up. You can find different translations or different uh, definitions of the word. One one definition of the word means to stand in the gap. But really it means uh, something that joins two things together. If there's a gap, if there's a lack, if there's an empty spot, it fills that empty spot. If I introduce you to somebody that you don't know, that I know, both you and them, but you don't know them. If I introduce you to them, then I've interceded. I've joined you two together through acquaintance. Intercession in itself is not always the tongues or the speaking or the prayer. In this case, he's saying the Holy Ghost helps your lack of understanding by giving you words to speak that are inspired by God himself. Sounds pretty important to me. I never have understood why Christians don't use the baptism or use the, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, meaning that they don't speak in tongues regularly. I know some people had the idea in, in days of old in old-time Pentecost that you couldn't do it unless you had a, a feeling of ecstasy or, or some kind of emotional something come on you, the presence of God come on you. But Paul didn't say that was the case. Paul said, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. He's saying you can, do, you can speak in tongues just as easily as you can speak in your known language. He says, according to your will. Why don't Christians use that? I hope you're not in that category. What a waste in so many Christians' lives, not to use the supernatural power source that God has given us. Verse 27, And he, speaking of God that searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Spirit, maketh intercession, joins together us and God with this God talk, makes up the the lack in our understanding with giving us utterance and speaking in tongues, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So notice what he's saying. He's saying whenever you speak in other tongues, you're praying according to God's will because you're not, you can't be praying according to your will because you don't know what you're saying. In other words, speaking with other tongues does away with any possibility for selfishness in prayer. Verse 28. And we know. Everybody say we know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Well, how do we know that do we know that everything that happens in life is good and is from god you wake up in the morning you're attacked with sickness and you just say oh praise the lord this is good well the bible says jesus went about doing good and healing so if healing is good then sickness can't be good if jesus did good by alleviating or removing sickness how could sickness possibly be good So what is this talking about? And we know that all things work together for good. He's saying we know that after you speak in tongues, by praying the perfect will of God, praying in other tongues according to the will of God by the utterance of the Holy Ghost, he's saying that after we speak in tongues, we know that God works things out for our good. Why? Because you've prayed His perfect will. Is God ever going to have you pray under any circumstances or any situation whatsoever? Is He going to ever have you pray something contrary to His will? Now, Christians may do that on their own, but God's not going to inspire that. So when you're speaking in tongues, you're praying or speaking according to the will of God, and it causes things to work out in your life. In other words, it's an unseen power source that works things out for you.
0: Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: Now whatever somebody, you or me, or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8:17 tells us why He healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness.
0: Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikewebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. First Timothy chapter 2. Not
1: only will God work things out for us in our own lives by speaking in other tongues, but there's a work of the Holy Ghost that God wants us to enter into by praying or speaking in other tongues that will benefit mankind. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, everybody say first, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Did you notice he didn't say pray first for you? Paul's impressed by the Holy Ghost to say, now when you pray, don't pray for yourself first. Now why is that? because you should be taking care of your individual needs and desires and things like that as you go. They shouldn't be piling up, so you have to go to prayer about them. He's not saying ignore your own needs. As those needs arise, the Bible already told us what to do for that. Jesus said your Heavenly Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him, so He must want you to ask Him about your needs. You're not informing Him. Well, then what are you doing? You're petitioning him in faith, hopefully in faith, so that you receive from him. So he says, first of all, when you come to prayer, first of all, it shouldn't be about you. Well, who should it be about? For all men, for other people. For other people. The Holy Ghost seems to be making an emphasis, at least to Timothy. And remember, Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus at the time Paul writes this. So Paul is clearly impressed or inspired by the Holy Ghost to say things to Timothy so that he can teach them to other people. We still use the words that he wrote to Timothy to teach others as well. And notice what he said. He said, Timothy, teach people or know this so that you can teach people that their prayer life should be made up of praying for other people. I would submit to you folks that the church has done a poor job of that. Most people's idea is we'll pray for me and my family and us and that's it. Let's everybody else take care of themselves. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, what all men is he talking about? Well, these are the all men that he's including. They're not exclusive to this because not all men fall into these categories. But he includes these in the all men group for kings and for those that are in authority for kings and those that are in authority pray for your leaders pray for your leaders now why in the world would he want us to do that notice he didn't say I exhort first of all that you complain about your leaders folks it takes no special skill to, to find something to criticize or complain about with government matter of fact they're making it so easy nowadays it's just hard to turn away But instead, he said, pray for them. Pray for them. Well, pray what? Pray for judgment to come on them? No, folks, judgment is coming on all those that are evildoers, no matter what. You don't have to pray for that. Pray for them for this reason, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Notice he says that your life, the way that your life is going to turn out in quietness and peaceableness, or the peace of God, has a lot to do with your prayer life for other people that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, what's good and acceptable? Well, not only that you lead a quiet and peaceable life, but that you pray for your leaders. Why is that good and acceptable? Because God would have all men, verse 4, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice that those are not necessarily the same thing. Certainly, to be saved, you have to come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. But once you're saved, there's still a lot more knowledge of the truth you need to come to. Now, here's the question. How do we pray for our leaders? I don't know about you, but to keep myself from criticizing, I have to spend most of that time in tongues. You know, it's a funny thing. When, uh, when I first got around Brother Hagin, uh, Reagan had just been elected to office, or just being elected into office in 1980. And, uh, and Brother Hagen would lead us into prayer meetings and we had some specific times of praying for our country and so forth. And it was an amazing thing in those days how I was able to pray so differently for the country than I can now. And some people, I, I don't know, uh, I, well, I, I, it seems to me that it's just a, a lack of spiritual perception, but I'm not the one to judge that. But anyway, whatever the case may be. It seems that some people that were there during those times look back and say, well, we've always got to do the same thing. Well, folks, times change. We're at a different place in God's timeline than we were back in 1980. But I see the church doing some of the same things that they tried to do then. Back then, some of it worked. Now it's not. I don't know if you remember this. Some of you that are old enough to remember it will remember that the 80s were the days of the moral majority. Well, most of the church, instead of praying for the church, just got involved in politics and the moral majority and was successful. It swept people into office. Well, I see some of the church trying to do that with Tea Party stuff now. But it doesn't have the same results because we're at a different place in God's timeline. Now, the people that Paul is saying to pray for, the leaders, kings, and those that are in authority, are those Christians? Well, one of the leaders of the country that Paul is most affected by the leader of Rome, the Caesar of Rome, winds up having him killed. It'd be real easy to look at Paul's uh, circumstance and the, the outcome and say, well, his prayer sure didn't work. But is that true? What is the purpose for our praying? Is the purpose for our praying for our country so that our president would be saved? Well, then you get into an argument about, is he saved already? Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody that was saved that you could tell by the way they lived? I guess I would fall into that Romans 8, 26 category. I don't know how to pray as I ought. Thank God the Holy Ghost will give us utterance in other tongues. Now, why does God want us to lead a quiet and peaceable life? Folks, you need to understand something. Everything is about the gospel. Everything is about the gospel of Jesus. It's so funny Politics is so funny to me. I've had to pull away over the last several years from politics because some of the same things that I saw the church doing in the 80s or looking back at it, didn't know it at the time, but looking back at it, seeing what the church was doing in the 80s, some of the same things are trying to come along now, and it's a spiritual thing. You can get so politically involved that you become spiritually ineffective. You can become so conscious of what's going on. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe it's good to know what's going on in our land. But you can focus on what's going on to such a degree that you forget about Jesus. Because what's going on in our land, by and large, is the work of the devil. You focus on the work of the devil more than the work of God, and you become more devil conscious. So several years back, I just had to pull away. There were some things that the Lord told me, kind of showed me where things were and where things were going beforehand. And of course, people—if the things that I said about it, people criticized me and sent me letters and... Told me I was wrong and all this kind of stuff. You know, nobody sent me a letter now that have turned out to be right. <laughs> and of course, there's a lot of name-calling and stuff like that because people are really into their politics. I think some people, at least from my experience, I think some people are more political than they are Christian. And that's a shame. So I had to pull back a little bit. I still know what's going on. I still keep up. But I've had to pull back because you can get so politically involved and so politically minded that you become spiritually ineffective. Paul had no illusions about who he was talking about when he said to pray for him. Look at Paul's example. He's persecuted by the, by the Jews, primarily by the Jews, everywhere he goes. It's the Jews that stirred up trouble it's the Jew against him. It's the Jews that wind up putting him in prison. It's the Jews that led to his beheading or his, his martyrdom, depending on what you believe about how it happened. And yet Paul says pray for him." He prayed for the Jews. He said at one place, writing to the Corinthians, he said, I'd give up my salvation if only my Jewish brothers would be saved. He's praying that about the people that are working against him trying to kill him. So apparently he's living what he's instructing and preaching for us to do. First of all, intercessions, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Why is it important for us to lead a quiet and peaceable life? Because if somebody is being oppressed financially, or if there are wars or social conditions where the gospel can't go out, then uh, then people can't be reached in the same way as in times of peace. Now what are we to do? The Bible says to pray for our leaders. Are we supposed to pray for our leaders that they would get saved and if they don't get saved, things won't work out? No. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. Like I said, in my case, the best way i found for that is to pray according to the Holy Ghost. Pray in other tongues. I start praying with my understanding about some of these guys and I have to repent. Well, that doesn't do any good. That's just wasting time. Here I am in the flesh, supposed to be praying, but the Holy Ghost won't take you into the flesh. Turn with me over to um, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Haggai. I came with, I, I came kind of full this morning without really knowing where I'm going to go. You might be able to tell. Notice in Haggai chapter two, beginning in verse seven. Notice what God said about the last days. He said, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Now, the desire of all nations is speaking of, the Bible speaks of, Paul spoke of this, how the earth groaneth and and travaileth until the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, until Jesus comes back and we receive our redeemed body. That's what the earth is looking for. The earth, which was created perfectly without any curse upon it, was made subject to the curse of uh, the law of sin and death the curse of the law because of Adam and Eve's transgression against God. And the Bible says the earth, even though it's not a living thing, it was a created thing, it is a created thing. And it says it groans and travails. In other words, there are things that are going on in the earth where the earth is trying to get out from under the law of sin and death. Just like people want to get out from under it when they come to Jesus, the earth is trying to get out from under it itself. And a lot of things that are happening in the earth is a result of the earth groaning and travailing until Jesus comes back. So the desire of all nations that's being spoken of here is Jesus' return, the rapture. And so notice the progression he talks about. He says, I'll shake all nations and the rapture will take place. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure truly how much more shaking the earth can take. The financial community is shaken to the core. I mean, we're hanging on by a thread. And I'm not saying anything to to scare anybody. Looking away from what's happening doesn't change anything. It's kind of ignoring the warning light in your car as you're driving down the road. Let's just tape over that and not look at it and everything will be all right. Well, Well, good luck with that. So he says, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the glory is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Now the only former house he could be talking about is the dedication of Solomon's temple. You remember when Solomon dedicated the temple? David wanted to build a temple and God said, no, you can't do it. You're a man of war. Your son will do it. He'll be a man of peace. Why was Solomon a man of peace? Because David had whipped everybody else. There was nobody left for Solomon to fight. Solomon was the most greatly armed heavily armed israel was the most well-defended nation on the face of the earth and that's why he had peace the devil didn't give up when solomon was ruling It's because of the things that david had done to prepare the way so he says to david you can't build the temple because you're a man of war but your son will build it because he's a man of peace so david said all right well if i can't build it then i'll raise the money for it and there were trillions of dollars present day dollars that were given to the Solomon's temple and, and uh, for him to use and utilize and so forth. Well, when Solomon dedicated the temple, this is, uh, what is it, 1 Kings 5, something like that? When Solomon dedicated the temple, it talks about the glory of God filling the house to such a degree that people couldn't stand up. In other words, God was pleased. He put his stamp of approval on it. What was his stamp of approval? The manifestation of the Holy Ghost. The manifested presence of God. And this is what the prophet is saying about our day the end time the day of the end the day when the nations will be shaken the day when the desire of the nations jesus returning for the church shall come he said and i will shake all nations and the desire of uh, shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and i will fill this house with glory even greater glory than solomon had when he dedicated the temple that sounds pretty good to me Notice he goes further, he says the silver is mine and the gold is mine. When you're operating according to God's time and according to his plan, he pays the bills. That's true not only for us as individuals, but for us as a church family. God doesn't have any trouble coming up with the money to do what he needs to do. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. you know how I read that? Now, this is subject to interpretation. You decide for yourself. But if he's already shaken all nations, the fact that he said the silver is mine and the gold is mine says to me that there's a different situation outside the church than there is inside the church. And then when he says, and in this place, I'll give peace, that indicates to me that the church is going to be the only place in the world that has peace because the rest of the world is being shaken from the core. Bible prophecy is being fulfilled all around us. For this reason, it's so important for us to pray for our nation. Allow the Holy Ghost to lead you in prayer for God's victory to be seen because Jesus is coming soon. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike
1: Webb. So what did God do in the early days of the church, in Acts, beginning in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, what did God do to enable the church to preach the gospel? He
0: poured out the Holy Ghost. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.